Uh, we're going to continue in our series this morning on heroes. And as we do so, turn to what, where do you think we are? You would think we're in Hebrews, but I'm throwing you a curveball today. Revelation 21, we will get back to Hebrews. We will skosh up next to it. And this morning, the sermon title, this, this happens often, I don't know if you catch it, but I'll have my sermon title on Wednesday for Lynn for publication, and then something else comes to my head between now and then, and I change it. And so that's happened uh, today. So how many of you uh, love those Southwest commercials, Want to Get Away? Right? I love those things. And, and my favorite one is this, uh, this one where there's a medieval fight and uh, it's a big standoff, and, and one group has been, been conquered, and, and the, uh, the foe stands there and says something to the effect of, which one of you is Hangrid? And I don't know if it's actually Hangrid. That's the name coming to my head right now. But which one of you is Hangrid? And the guy starts to say, I'm, you know, and one of his guys steps up to protect him and says, I am Hangrid. And, and there's shock on the face of actually Hangrid. And and then another guy says, I am Hangrid. And another, and there's this heroic moment. I am Hangrid. And then there's this putz that's walking up. And he's all, hello, Hangrid. Do you know where my shield is? Mine has vertical stripes. This one has horizontal. And it's just like, and then you hear, want to get away? How many of you had a week like that where you want to get away? Some of you are getting away next week right? The Bensings are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And so they're going to Barstow, California. No, they got upgraded ding, to Hawaii. Tell them what they've won, Bob. So uh, how many of you have a vacation that you have planned, or maybe you just went on and, and I'm going to rat out my friend Karen here. She's always thinking of the beach, right, Karen? You're probably thinking of it right now. The beach, the beach, the beach. How many of you have a place that you're getting ready to go to? Uh, I know someone is going to go to Janine and I's favorite getaway coming up at the end of the week. The Parkinson's are going to a secret place. The four of us are not telling you where this wonderful place on earth is. Beth, have you been thinking about this getaway? Yes, yes. So how many, and you're probably thinking about it right now, aren't you? That place you want to get away to. How many of you are, are getting away to our church retreat in a couple weeks up to Lake Tahoe? And you've been thinking about that, and when we say it, you picture Sludge Falls, right? No, you don't picture, you picture this beautiful, pristine blue lake. Want to get away? So this morning as we continue in the Hero series, we're talking about uh, uh, in a correlation with heroes, we've been operating out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 specifically. And as we do so, we're looking at the demonstrated life of patriarchs throughout uh, the history of Scripture. And what was it in their life that made them so heroic? They are, they are memorialized, right, in, in, in this classic chapter often called the hall of fame or hall of faith what was so unique and so special and what can we learn about their lives 
and obviously wanting to turn every single week back to how it is that God is involved in that. How is it that Jesus, the ultimate hero, gives us the inspiration to live heroic lives? And so I thought I would also borrow from some culture that's going around in our world today, and uh, this has to do with uh, uh, just a great, great movie and movie series from the Marvel Universe, from Avengers, and, and this is the Infinity Gauntlet, and let me just activate it so you guys can see exactly how this thing works, and it's very exciting, and I love toys, and uh, there's one person in here, I'm not going to say who it is, but I might be pointing at them, <laughs> that is completely geeked out hmm, about about this thing. As a matter of fact, I was walking in with it today, and she goes, I'll take that. It's a little bit of a power thing going on with Christina. But uh, today we talk about this blue stone, uh, and we don't, we're, we're not using Marvel Universe to preach doctrine and theology. The point of, of this, and the point of this prop, and the point of, of talking through this just a skosh as an illustration, a prop, is the fact that our culture is enamored with heroes. They need heroes. We live in a world where we're constantly saying, I want to get away. I want to get away. And so this morning, we get to look at a component of the infinity stones called the space stone. And it's always fun for me to try to figure out, how am I going to preach this stuff? How does it work? How does... How am I going to connect these ideas with what's here in Hebrews 11 and, and all that's going on? Well, here's my question today. When we think about want to get away, your sermon notes, and go ahead and take those out, and you can write things down. We'll have answers up on the screen. It was originally titled uh, Heavenly Acres. How many of you know of a retirement center called Heavenly Acres, right? They don't really call it, which is the second part of our title, Hell's Kitchen, all right? Nobody's signing up to uh, live out their days at a retirement center called Hell's Kitchen. And, and uh, most people actually want out of that area of New York. So here's, here's the question. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in heaven? Do you hope for it? Do you seek it? So... Today, we have a little something happening that, that relates again to our culture, and, and I'm just going to pull this prop up real quick. It's a very, very important prop. And we went through hell last week, right? So we're hoping for a little bit of heaven, a little bit of heaven this week, right? And I'm just going to put this across Nancy's keep. No, I wouldn't dare, Nancy. I'll just put this in front of... Uh, I'll just put that right there for, for my buddy, uh, Carl. We'll see if it stays up while, while worship is happening. Why do fans get so enamored with their teams? And when their teams win the ultimate prize, often you'll hear the statement, that was heavenly. That catch was heavenly. That home run was heavenly. We talk in terms of what heaven is it's reserved for certain moments or certain experiences. Same thing with its counterpart, hell. That we use that term, carefully, we use that term 
very specifically, and it fits its own context. The question for us to wrestle with this morning as we look at these heroes, they lived this way, Hebrews 11 says. It shaped their lives. It shaped, catch this, this is very important, it shaped their choices. It's one thing to believe that heaven ultimately is going to happen. It's another thing to run into a person who lives that way. So when we ask the question this morning, want to get away? There is a huge opportunity to learn how not to become so dependent day by day in this idea of I, I need to escape, I need to escape, I need to escape all the junk that's around me. And the reason you can escape that based off of what we're going to look at today is because you will escape it. If your faith truly holds to what God has promised, you not only can survive in the midst of hell's kitchen, you can thrive. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's dive in. We're in Revelation this morning. And uh, so the question, want to get away? And I'll give you just the key verse this morning, Revelation 21.2. This is a great passage concerning heaven and hell. Some interesting dynamics here. And we know that it's very popular to speak about heaven. There are those who uh, are agnostics or atheists, and, and they would say that, well, I don't believe in that, but... I think there are even more that say, hey, I do believe in God, and I do hold to the idea of heaven, but hell, I can't hold it. Do you know that if you're going to read Revelation 21, you can't hold on to, as, as Job's wife wanted to, you can't hold on to just what you prefer and deny the other part. It's a package deal. We don't get to go in and redact God's design and God's purposes. It is what it is, and it's there for our benefit. We're going to give some clarity on that. Today I'm mostly going to speak about heaven. So there's this beautiful vision that John has, and towards the end of Revelation, he gives us a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, and that's where we are. And he says, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a beautiful day when you get married. And you think about, my wife, when she thinks about how beautiful I was on that day, <laughs> just gets misty-eyed. It's, you know, we have to take a deep breath and, you know, all of that. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Here's a picture from the movie, and this is, uh, this is the almighty Thanos wielding the space stone. It's interesting, when he acquires it, one of his lackeys, Ebony Maw, hands it over to him, and then he states what? He states a great... <laughs> I don't know. How, how would I know? I've never met Ebony Ma. Let me share with you what he says. The universe lies within your grasp. Why is that poignant? Remember, whenever I refer back to this whole Marvel thing, this is just a story. But it's fascinating what we include in stories, isn't it? There's... A measure of truth in what's stated there. You see, the space stone, what it allows the, the wielder to do is to teleport all over the universe 
and to go to any place that they so desire. Well, if you don't believe that there's any other place than yours, and if you're thinking that, like the world used to think, that the whole universe is just Earth-centric, we are the center of the universe, then what interest do you have in heaven? But what an amazing thing and what a power to go beyond the problems and the menial tasks and the limitations of the world we live in. If you had a space stone that you could just activate and you could just go to heaven, if you had a space stone and you could check out for a day and go to heaven, would you? Yes. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't speak to this real quickly. There are a lot of books, there are a lot of things that are out there that you can read. They speak about individuals that say they went to heaven for five minutes, right? Or, or ten minutes. Some of those individuals know that you will buy that book. Publishers know you will buy that book. And by the way, there have been individuals that have spoken about their experience in going to hell as well. And that really, when they, when they came back, when they were resuscitated, that really changed their view on things. What would you do if you could go to heaven for five minutes? Would it change how you live your life? Would it change your circumstances, how you think how all the pressures of life pound down on you? Being enamored with that which will fade away? If we could go to heaven for five minutes, now let me just say something about that because some of those, some of those things are just not true. But there are those out there that would want to negate all of that and say there's no way you can go. I'm, what I would say to that is if you're saying there's no way you could go to heaven and come back, then you didn't pay attention to the book of Revelation, right? That the Lord took John to heaven to show him what heaven looks like. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of whether or not John was dead or this person who wrote the book was dead or whatever. The reality is we know that this has happened, and it's happened a couple times in Scripture. Paul speaks to the fact that he was given insight into what heaven looked like before Paul ever died. And it changed his thinking. It changed his living. Want to get away? Yeah, Paul, when he had received that insight, sincerely, what does Paul say? I desire to leave this place and be with my Father. But for me, Christ is to live, but to die is gain, right? Paul desired to be with Christ because he had a taste. And it shaped his living, it shaped his thinking. So if you had the power to teleport different places, namely heaven, would you want that power? Well, interestingly enough, what Scripture says is you have that power. You have that power in a choice. You and I have that power in a choice. And so let's get to that this morning as we look a little bit deeper into uh, Revelation 21. Turn there with me. I'm going to read the first seven verses which speak to this description of the new heaven, the new earth. This is at the end of Revelation. We've gone through the tribulation. Uh, the earth has been scorched. The heavens have been scorched. And God makes all things new. There is a literal city. It's almost in the shape of what would be considered a cube. There are gates. Uh, it is pristine. It is beautiful. It is without uh, rival. 
And I don't have enough time to go into all the details. I have a, a recommendation that there is a book by Philip Yancey that's called Heaven. Pick it up. Read it. That one's a good, safe, and inspirational read. But let's look at what the Word of God says. This is the vision of John and what God gave to him to write down for us that we might get a what? A glimpse of what is to come, what is promised. I'm going to read 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's an interesting idea about the sea is that as someone who used to surf a lot, that depressed me. But understand at the time of John, we looked at this in Acts as, as there was, uh, say, the shipwreck in Malta, right? We learned a lot about the seafaring attitudes of, of the Greeks and the Romans. And, and the basic culture of the day was that the sea was evil. The sea contained evil. And when there was a shipwreck, it was because someone on that ship had done something and the evil was going to come and consume it and punish it. So think about the context of, of what's going on here in John's mind. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Have you ever longed for the opportunity to walk with God like Adam and Eve did? That's coming. That's coming. And the beauty of that is that God desires to be with us. Have you ever been in a room where people weren't real excited about being with you? Welcome to high school. Substitute teacher. Right? And so I, sometimes I think we, we get this idea that when we get to heaven, I don't know, God's going to be kind of removed and off to the side and we'll kind of gather once a week in this big gigantic throne room and we'll all worship and then we get to go to our heavenly condo, right? And, and have our little time and, and, and you've, all, you've all done this. You've all figured out what you want in your heavenly condo, right? And, and you've put in like a little mini golf, you know, thing, some of you. Some of you have a giant walk-in closet that you never had before. Can you just let go of that? Because we denigrate what God has prepared. The point is this, God desires and will make it happen that in heaven he wants to walk with us. He wants to be with you. That is tremendous. That's what we have waiting for us. And so as we continue... He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our church has multiple families that are dealing with the struggle of loss. Some are dealing with the struggle of cancer. Some are dealing with the struggle of broken families. When you think about all the difficulty and the sorrow that this life has for us, doesn't that sound so appealing? There will be no more tears. No more sadness. No more disease. No more sickness. Our eyes will be perfect. No more glasses. What a beautiful picture. 
What a beautiful thing that's been promised for those that choose. Let's keep going. Verse 5. And he who has sealed, or he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We will no longer have to have an idea or sense that we have to earn anything. We will truly understand grace as it completely exists. Everything will be provided for us as needed. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The last verse. Well, that takes us into verse 8. So seven verses there were committed to describing heaven and this new relationship with God where he is with us. One verse speaks to hell. And it says this, But as for the cowardly, Interesting choice of word. If there's something that, that I really wrestled with and, and chewed on in my prep this week, it was being reminded that this word is here. How often do we hear preached or discussed or taught that it is the cowardly that will eventually find themselves in hell. I've never once heard it preached. But this is the word choice. We'll get to this in a minute. It's called a teaser. The faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't have a lot of time, and my, my focus this morning is not to speak about the doctrine of hell, other than to say this. God says this is a real place. For many of us, that is a very difficult thing to fathom, that a compassionate God would make a literal place that is the second death, where there is suffering. What we do is we tend to eradicate the idea that we have a just God. And I, I find it that there is a strange similarity here that God has put that divine spark within us and there is a part of us that replicates how God operates. When you see an injustice happen, how many of you desire that there would be consequences? There's a natural part of us that says justice requires a consequence for such offenses. Now you mix in the idea of forgiveness, you mix in the idea of mercy, and guess what you have? You have redemption. You have exactly what is available to the world. A cruel God would be the one that would just simply condemn mankind to death for eternity. But that's not our God. 
As a matter of fact, what we need to understand is that this lake of fire that is described here in 21 was made for the beast, was made for Satan and his angels. Those are things we cannot look into. We do not know why they will be condemned to an eternal punishment. What we do know is that that place was originally made for them. Nobody goes to hell because God sent them there. They go there because they choose not to go to heaven. So it's very important for each of us to listen carefully today. Because there is a valuation that if I don't understand how to experience heaven, if I don't know how to pursue God, if I don't know how to make that choice or what to choose in, then that would be unfair. But right now, you're about to enter into the world of accountability because we're going to share with you how that happens. How do you make a choice to be courageous versus cowardly? And, and we'll look into that a little bit later. Let's get back to heavenly acres uh, if we can. When we think about heaven, heaven is the paragon of our faith. Yet, I think we rarely think about it or plan for it. Faith is requisite to hold a high view of heaven. This is one of the constants. You cannot compromise on this. There will not be a single individual in heaven that doesn't have faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to what? To please God. There is your requisite. There is your choice in order to experience heaven. Yet heaven, for many of us, seems whimsy. It's almost an afterthought. It's almost a cartoon. It's almost individuals with harps floating around on clouds. And for some of us, we have this idea that heaven is going to be an eternal church service. And you're like, Ugh, you know, I can handle Pastor Jeremy once a week for about, you know, 45 minutes. But, dude, seriously? Like, every day, nonstop? That is not my idea of heaven. <laughs> you're going to love it. Okay? As a matter of fact, you come up to me afterwards and say, ha ha, he's so much better than you are. Okay? I just give you permission to do that. Part of the challenge of heaven is we only get a small glimpse as to what it's going to be like. One of the beauties of heaven is everything that is described is beautiful. Take yourself to an event, a circumstance, a moment in your life where you are out experiencing something in nature, or maybe the birth of your children, or something just so beautiful that had nothing to do with this kind of stuff. And I want you to think about how that spoke to your heart. For maybe some of you it was so inspirational that it made changes in your life. Do you know that you're seeing the creative hand of God in those moments? He's given us glimpses of his creativity. When we see those glimpses in the midst of a broken world, can you imagine what it will be like in a place where there is no sin, there is no death, there is no disease, there is nothing broken? Can you imagine? 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no one can possibly comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. 
man, it goes beyond. How many of you have seen the pictures of all the, the millions of people that have flocked to Disneyland this week because of a story? A stupid story. It's not even that good of a movie series. You know, guy with asthma is a, you know, is a bad guy? Come on. And yet they, they devoted a big part of the park and they opened it up and it's like, you're going to pay $22 for some potato chips? That's not my idea of heaven. I don't care what you dress it up like or you call it tattooing chip zone or whatever. But millions of people can't wait to go there. We desire heaven, but we're giving a cheap substitute. And we're falling in love with that. In heaven, you'll no longer need one of these things. <laughs> this is my fault. I messed with it this morning. All right, I've got it back. C.S. Lewis has a great quote concerning heaven. Has this world been so, what? So kind to you that you should leave it with regret? Oh. I long for heaven, and it drives my family nuts. They take it personal. You don't love us. You know, what are we going to do without you? You just want to get away from us. <laughs> and that's my dog. <laughs> right? I will not have a moment of regret as long as my family and you are there with me. That is the only thing I could have regret over. That you should leave it with regret. There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Amen. Amen. Let's continue on. Actually, I have to finish up this section real quick between Heavenly Acres and Hell's Kitchen. Picture, if you will, the first place you would desire to get away to on earth would it be described as heavenly? And, and, and what makes it heavenly? Humanity is drawn to God's creative hand of beauty like a moth to light. In light of that, can you imagine a place that holds the greatest effort of creativity of God without any hindrance or agony or distortion or violence? And there's an interesting idea that in verse 7 he says, this waits for the one who conquers, who overcomes. We're going to circle back around to that in a minute. When it comes to Revelation 21.8, talking about hell. Understand, hell was, was not created for mankind. Rather, Satan and his fallen angels. This idea of cowards. You know, when we look at this Hebrews 11 in context of the idea of heroic, every single person listed in the hall of faith or hall of fame had to make choices. And they're exemplified for the What? the courage with which they made that choice. For those, and this may be presumptuous on my part, but I'm going to give myself the grace to be presumptuous. I have not yet met a person who refuses to choose heaven. That their desire is more about not being a pioneer, not risking not chasing after that which they cannot touch. You see, that would require great courage. And many of the luxuries we enjoy today happen by people who, when they went to do something, went to invent something, 
were laughed off the face of the earth. How many of you have iPhones? Raise your hand. Come on, you should admit it. Do you know that Steve Jobs was laughed at and ridiculed for his ideas? And had he been a coward, you wouldn't have your phone now and all the time you devote to it. Which maybe wouldn't be a bad thing. Because you could all have Androids. Okay. <laughs> Somebody actually palpably went, oh, oh. Look, I'm just saying, their, their, their symbol is an apple with a bite out of it. There was a choice there, okay? There's a choice there. That's not by chance. It's not by chance. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give any definition to it. I'm just going to say that that's, you know, that was their choice. Let's, let's look real quickly at this idea that, again, wrapping up this idea of hell, there's a choice that has been marginalized. Heaven and hell have been equally marginalized. But if we could spend one minute, as I've talked about, in either place, it would vastly change each moment of each day for, for each of us. What if we could get away? What if our choice was one of courage versus cowardice? It is of the greatest mystery to me that God should term our choice in this manner, and yet when considered, it's most clear, most complete. Our tension isn't with a God who would send people to hell. It should be with a person who would deny their reservation in heaven for a pragmatic life in this broken and tragic crap fest. Now, here's what's interesting. Many of you might be really, really... I have no idea why my watch is talking to me. It's an Android. It's just filled with the Spirit. It just spontaneously speaks. See, it goes beyond man's power. Focus. Would you all focus? I don't even remember. what. There was a great point, and I don't remember what I was saying. Let's just move into the, the honorable here, shall we? Again, the idea that, oh, I know where I was going. <laughs> I read the word crap fest in my notes. How could I forget that? Here, here's the, look, in, in preaching we call this shock jock stuff. And it's that a pastor would use the word crap. Just understand where that word came from. The guy who invented the toilet, his name is John Crapper. Did you know that? So just get a little bit beyond me cussing from up here. I'm using contextualization of a word. And by the way, I really see it that way. And I hope the rest of us do. Because the more we become enamored with this junk, the more it keeps us from having a heavenly perspective. Amen? So let's not talk about all of this unless God's hand and fingerprints are on it in such an enamored and lovely way that we miss what He has for us. And we miss the choice of living a heroic life. Let's look at some ways that we can do this this morning. Honorable investors, investors, Mike Redlick's not in the room, so I can't, I can't pick on him. Investors, how does that work? Well, go back, if you will, uh, to Hebrews, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, 
And we're going to look towards the end of the passage. And it's uh, verse 22 through 27. And it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring in... They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are what? Written in the Lamb's book of life. This is what you call an investment. An investment. Is your name written in the book of life? That's the qualifier for heaven. We do not get there. We do not get our name invested into the reservation book of heaven unless there is faith and a series of courageous and heroic and honorable choices. What a beautiful thing to be gathered in heaven where the honor of the nations will be celebrated. Amen? There's a lot of weird stuff going on up here. My watch is talking to me. This thing just fell off by its own volition. The question is, have you made a heavenly reservation? Are you ready to be an investor in heaven? Am I? And do we think about that investment? That's part of our theme. We've got these new banners up. Uh, starting today, and we're going to be doing a big celebration outside. It's part of our theme that what we do with the time that we've been given figures into how we bring honor of the nation into heaven. What mark, what signature will you have that survives that goes through those gates of heaven with what you've been given? The parable of the talents. You who have been given much, or you've been faithful with little, you will be given much, right? Enter into my joy. Enter into my presence. What a beautiful thing to be able to walk with God in that way because we invested in honorable things. Honorable and courageous choices. And the passage that we look at is out of Revelation 21, 27. You just heard that. Let me go to equipped, a thief. You remember the thief on the cross, correct? And so how does this fit into what we're looking at this morning? Luke 23, 42 says, and he said, being the thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response to the thief was, today you will what? You will be with me in paradise. Was there a long exegetical treatise of understanding the differentiation between law and grace espoused from the left of Jesus? No. Very simply, one of the thieves recognized Jesus for who He is. And I put it this way. He was not equipped with doctrine. Not to say doctrine's bad. Doctrine is very good for us. But sometimes we overemphasize it. 
We say that you have to know this, you have to say that, you have to be able to accomplish these things according to the doctrine of, of scriptures in order to have that heavenly reservation, in order to be a hero. And yet the thief never got those chances. Why? Because he didn't have time. Now for you and I, we have those chances, so that matters. But I want you to go back to this idea that what equipped the thief was the basis of what it means to be heroic. He wasn't equipped with great works. He didn't have time to do them. He was equipped with faith. One of the ways to think through this is his recognition of Jesus Christ. Right? As he turns and gives confession to those around him, including Christ, including the other thief, he says what? We deserve what is happening to us. Confession. Recognition of sin. He does not. He is not guilty. Recognition that Jesus is who he says he is, the Lamb of God, spotless. And then a confession of faith. Because he doesn't say, I will die with you. He doesn't say it was good hanging out here with you. He doesn't say anything along. He says, remember me. Do you realize that that is a choice of faith? Because he knows that what's happening in that moment and their death is not the end of things. So, why was the thief equipped? Because of recognition, confession, and there was redemption. He's got what it takes, which is courage. The other thief didn't have the courage. He went with the crowds in front of him. It would not have been popular to step up and say what this thief said. But he did. And there was great courage involved. What about resilient? So I want to take you to uh, Timothy. Um, the passage up there is not correct. Turn to 2 Timothy, if you will. Or just listen as I read it to you. It's just a great, great passage. Um, with what I call the trisacta of the workforce, <laughs> right? The farmer, the soldier, the athlete. And what says here, uh, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Is your name in the book of life? That's a question we've already asked. That is accomplished through a courageous choice of faith. Are, have you made a heavenly reservation or have you given in to the things that are distracting around you so you're no longer enamored with heaven? You don't want to abide by the rules. You want to say, I'll find my own way. And yet, what does, Tim, what, what does Paul say to Timothy? The athlete who wants to succeed has to run according to the rules. There was a horse recently that now in a program for horse depression because he won the Kentucky Derby but he didn't win the Kentucky Derby <coughs> and many of us will say on that day Lord Lord did we not say this or do that in your name and what does Jesus say depart from me I never knew you Jesus has made it very clear how you get your name in that book it is through faith in Him and Him alone. It is the acknowledgement that there is sin in our life. We are broken. We are separated from the Father. And it is only through the cross and the resurrection and faith in that 
that we can experience eternal life with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this heavenly place. Amen? That is it. Those are the rules if you want to be the athlete that wins the reward. Honorable and courageous choices. This morning as I wrap up, the pioneer, the optimist, Abraham. By the way, we dug far and deep to get this great glossy photo of Abraham. Not many people have this. It's just incredible. Um, Olin Mills shot. Is your name in the book of life? Well, the idea of being a hero means that, as we have articulated, you need to be an optimist. You always need to look forward to that which God has promised. Camp on the promises of God. Heaven has been promised to those who make a courageous journey of faith to seek it and seek Him, just like the thief. God came to Abraham and said, I desire for you to travel to another country, a place that I'm going to give to you and to your children. There's no indicator that God had ever spoken to Abraham prior to that or that God or Abraham would have known Jehovah. And yet there was such an experience there that it moved Abraham to be an optimist. So much so that he was a pioneer. For many of us, God has challenged us to move. Not move from here or move from this church. That is not from God. God's not telling any of you that. <laughs> Stay put. God has challenged us to move spiritually. Amen? And there will be reward because of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10-15. But we have to be those pioneers like Abraham. Have you made a heavenly reservation? An honorable and courageous choice. This morning as I wrap, I want to give you a hero, Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was, uh, in some senses, uh, one of the greatest voices of missions that you'll ever come across. Uh, he was a South African preacher uh, in the mid-19th century and truly believed in the power of prayer. And Murray saw great acts of God happen. Murray's encouragement in the books that he wrote and the life that he lived was absolutely heroic. And there's a great statement that he has about heaven on this. We must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move what? The heavenly world. And can bring its power down to earth. Murray believed this. Murray lived it. And Murray lived a heroic life. He was honorable. He was equipped through prayer. He was resilient through all of the tragedy and all of the circumstances that were thrown, circumstances that were thrown at him. And in the midst of all of that, he remained an optimist and a pioneer to encourage millions of believers. God worked mightily through Andrew Murray because he act, acted in choice as a hero. This morning as I close, my question to you is, want to get away? I certainly hope so. And I certainly hope you want to get away to the right place. This morning you have a choice. 
you have a choice. And I'll take you back to our little movie when Thanos received the space stone and was going to give him the opportunity to bounce anywhere across the universe he wanted to go. And his subject, Ebony Maw, turns to him. And what does he say? The universe lies within your grasp. Now that's just a cartoon. But you know, I certainly hope you heard that today out of Scripture. Because that's what's been promised to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you encourage us deeply towards the idea, the promise, the very real place of heaven, and that we consider it deeply and sincerely, and that we make the courageous choice to live out as a pioneer, seeking not this land, not a land of our own, but a better land, a heavenly one, as Hebrews speaks about. Father, we pray that we are enamored with heaven, and we are concerned and distraught about hell. Lead us to act appropriately, Father. In your name, amen.